Now y'all know why I'm never late. She stays on top of me. Picks out my clothes, makes sure I'm where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be. That is my completer. Thank God for our completers. Amen. Amen. If you'll be turning your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, while you're turning in your Bibles, um, one thing I do want to add real quick on Benjamin on the prayer list, we're going to do that in the rock down at the back. Um, that is 24 hours here. Those of you who have been a part of it before, I want you to sign up, be a part, sign up preferably in 30-minute sessions. Come be here. You can pray anywhere you want. I love to have people praying everywhere at both times, but I really want to fill that 24-hour slot that's right here on this campus from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. during the night. Uh, there'll, there'll be, there'll be a, a curry egg, some coffee, some donuts, something in there so you can come. If you need to come sit 2 to 2.30 in the morning, 4 to 4.30 in the morning, you need to sit and eat your donut, drink your coffee, and have a little talk with Jesus, come do it on behalf of the teens. Amen. I really want to encourage you to sign that up. Listen, we got enough people. To, 48 people is all it takes. Pray 30 minutes, 24 hours. I believe it will make a difference in the lives of the teens. So I ask you to sign up that. Also, normally I would have sent out a one call for you to pray for Brother Larry Estes. But since he's the one that does a one call, I ain't been able to send that out for him. I want to ask you guys to be in prayer for Brother Larry, for Miss Sylvia, for all the family. I want you to pray specifically. I don't know. I, I've been in trouble before. I may get in trouble again. But I believe in specific prayers because I believe in a specific God. And there, there's some issue with some seizures. Um, there's some low sodium. Um, there's some blood pressure issues. He's still at the hospital today. I want to ask you to be in specific prayer for Brother Larry Estes, that, that God would take care of all those things. See, I, I'm, I'm not that old school stuff that believes if you have insurance, you just ain't trusting God. I believe you got some sense. I'm not one of those guys that believes you shouldn't take medicine. If that's true, I wouldn't have taken that oxycodone 45 minutes ago just to get through this morning. I, I believe God gave us stuff for a reason. I believe God gave us doctors for a reason. Matter of fact, we're going to look at it this morning. There's a purpose for every life. And those people are purposed to be doctors. And I believe that they're purposed so that, that God can answer our prayer and speak to a doctor and show him what's wrong and fix those things. Amen. So I want you to be in prayer. Also, visitors, any of you guys, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get to meet this morning. And I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get to meet with y'all. It may not mean anything to y'all. But it does to me. Standing at that door on Sunday morning, seeing your faces come in and smile and being here, just, it just charges my day. It just does. I absolutely love standing at that door, getting to speak to you guys when you come in that door. And it, and it hurts not to be able to, but I understand I can't stand out there 30, 40 minutes and then stand here. It's just not going to work. So my, my apology is not being able to be at the door and, and even to meet visitors. But if you guys would look, there should be a packet of information on the row in front of you. I know we're a little short on those, trying to get some more printed. Look around. Tap somebody on the shoulder. There's some on the table out front. I'd ask you if you would to take that out. There's a Connect card in there. If you'd fill that out, put it in the box. Also, faith members, if you've got prayer requests, y'all know the Connect card is our new prayer card. Get those. There's some on the table. Fill them out. Put them in that black box out there, the offering box. You just drop them in. Anything you need, any information you get to us, you just put it in that box. We'll, we'll get it, and, and we'll pray there. I want to, I forgot to bring it and show it to you. <coughs> I, I want to start this morning, I, I want to recommend a book. We're going to be using the book a good bit this morning, but I want to recommend a book to you to read, and, and I know what about probably 99% of you just thought, yeah, you're wasting your breath. I hate to read. Welcome to my club. I own that club. I am the president of the I Hate to Read Club. Yeah. But what I have learned is that there are, there are things that I can read and get information that I can't get any other way. You, you can listen to stuff. You can hear people talk about a book. There's nothing quite like reading one. Sometimes you've got to do some things you don't particularly enjoy to get the benefit that you need to get. See, I'm quite positive right now. I don't see from the look on your faces. I don't see anybody all giggly right now. You're just so excited. You can't wait to get up tomorrow morning and go to work. I just, I just don't expect many of you to lay awake at night excited about getting up and going to work tomorrow morning. I just don't think every night of the week you go to bed like a kid on Christmas Eve and you can't sleep because you're so excited. You get up and go to work tomorrow morning. But you're going to get up and go to work tomorrow morning. But it ain't so much because of what you love. It's because you need the benefit of it. See, <laughs> I, I know probably, I hope you at least enjoy what you do if you work. 
If you don't enjoy it at all, there's a good chance you might not be doing the right job. I mean, it's where we spend most of our life at work, right? And so, so I hope you at least enjoy what you do. I mean, if we got to get up and leave home and leave our families all day long for it, I hope there's some kind of enjoyment. But the truth is, they cut the paycheck. You ain't getting up tomorrow morning. If there ain't nothing coming in on Friday, there ain't nothing going out on Monday. Well, see, that, that's, that's kind of the way reading is. you you got to go through the process to get the benefit. you you got to go through some things. So I, I, have, I have hated to read my whole life, but I have learned there is a great wealth of knowledge. You cannot get this book from me or any. You can't get it from the great preachers. You sure can't get it from somebody like me and understand this and fill your heart and, and body and mind and soul like reading this book. I'm, I'm with you. I know where you've been. We've been in the genealogies there when we got into Chronicles. I get it. I skimmed them too. Yeah, confession time. I skimmed them too. You know why? Because I can read them. I ain't going to remember them 30 seconds after I read them. They are of extreme importance that they're there, that we understand the genealogies of how things work and so that we get over to Matthew and have that genealogy so that we get the, the, the lineage of Christ. All that's extremely important. But it ain't going to do a lot for me to just sit down and read who begot who begot who begot who begot who. And who was the father and, and who was the mother. It, it just, that's not going to get it. But I can tell you this, when you get on the back side of that, it's going to give you information you need to know. Everything in this book is important, is there. So, so you, you've got to put reading in. Now, here's the truth for me. There are people that love to read. Anybody know those kind of people? They'll buy a book that thick. And, and it's like some kind of novel. It, it's a, it's a make-believe story. It's um, fiction. And they write up and, and they buy it, and they're so excited, and I think, well, you need to prop the door open or something? I mean, why would you buy a book that big? Three or four days later, they're done. They are consumed in that thing for days, and, and, re- and they love that. I ain't, I ain't that guy. Y'all can tell that from my English. I'm not that guy. If something's not going to do something for me spiritually, I don't have time to read it. I, I'll go ahead and tell you. About, about ten pages into a book, I figure the introduction is, is your punchline. That's your time to get my attention. That's your time to let me know I'm fixing to learn something. And if you ain't said nothing to me in the first 10 pages, you're pretty close to me being through with your book. I mean, if your opening statements has nothing of any spiritual interest to me, so after about 10 pages, I'm, I'm skimming now. I'm looking for a few more pages if there's anything. If that ain't working, I'll go back to the beginning and I'll look at the titles of each chapter. Anybody do that? I mean, you know, you ought to at least be able to come up with a good title. So I'm going to find one that the title sounds good, and I'm going to go to that chapter. Now, you've got my interest again. You've recovered from your first 10-page failure, and now I'm at a chapter that the title sounds good, and, and about two or three pages in, if you ain't got to me, I'm already skimming again. And after about three or four pages of skimming, I'm done with the book. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? I don't have time to just sit and read something that doesn't change me. But there are some books that you read that you never forget. There are some books that you will read that will change your life forever. So if I recommend a book to you, I promise you, you can trust me. It changed my life. It it had something in it for me. And here's the truth. In Bible college... We were taught if it matters to you, it'll matter to somebody else. If you read a book, if you listen to a sermon, if you watch a movie, a Christian-based movie, if something changes your life, if something touches your heart, somebody else needs it too. And and it'll do something. So you take good things and and you pass them forward. So, you know, I've recommended a book several times to you guys from Richard Stern's The Hole in Our Gospel. I have recently... Six weeks ago, we recommended again. Anybody remember? The Hole in Our Gospel. Dr. Ike Riker recommended that book to me years ago. Years ago, he said, you're at a point in your life. I'm just searching what did God want. What did God want? I mean, this is probably, I don't know, 2006, 7. That book changed my life forever. Sounds like a weird title, Hole in Our Gospel. But the more I read it, the more I realized what the hole was. It was me. 
I'm the one falling through this. It's an incredible book, a little bit thick, but, but here, here's the reality. No matter how good a book is, if I don't invest the time to put the information in, it ain't changing nothing. The same thing is true with the Word of God. If you're not investing time to read this book, this book can't radically change your life. It's up to you to put this information in. So no matter how good a book is, it's up to us to invest the time. So the book that I want to recommend this morning was given to me by Pastor Bruce Freeman, I don't know, probably around 2010. There's actually four of them. They're written by Mike Murdoch. They're called The Assignment. I forgot to bring the one where it's a green cover on the front. You can get all four of them if you want. They're relatively small books. Matter of fact, if you don't like to read, you're in luck. My son and I was talking about three weeks ago. I mentioned a couple of things that this book said. He said, man, I probably need to read that book. My son's in the same place I've been. My son don't like to read. He gets it honest. But he's learning. It helps him, and he's reading, and he's learning stuff to, to start being a, a, an instructor to a Bible study thing they got coming up. I'm excited about that, so I, I bought him the book. It's like 15 bucks, and I'm, I'm a little puzzled. His is 25 pages shorter than mine. I should have held out for a few years and bought it, I guess. So if you like to read, you're in luck. I don't know what's different about it. It, it, all, it all looks the same. But, it, but it's a three-part series, and, and they're called The Assignment. This morning, it's my prayer that, that through this message, Airstream in here, that, that God would, would take using his book and using some information from, from the assignment, that, that God would use it. And it's my prayer that he would... Either remind you or show you how important you are. How special you are. How individual in God's economy you are. So our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse number 17. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches. That verse says, come as you are, serve as you are. Verse 18, is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is, of course, referring to a condition of the flesh. And that verse is particularly warning us against legalism within the church. Don't try to be in the flesh like everybody else. Come as you are. Circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. I want to look at a reminder this morning. You are fearfully and wonderfully made for a specific purpose. So for just a few minutes, I want to look at this, this, this title, Created for His Glory. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, I thank you. We thank you in one accord right now. We all say thank you, God, that before we were ever born, you had us on your mind. Before you ever formed us in the womb, you had a plan for our life. God, we're not sitting at Faith Baptist Church by accident. You had a plan. God, there are people out there that need to be reached, and you're going to use people right here in this building. You had a plan. Thank you, God, that we are your plan. We are created in, in your image, God, but we are created to be used for you, to be used by you. God, I thank you so much for your book, for your message, for your strength, for your grace, your mercy, your love. God, I pray would you continue to move in this place this morning. Thank you, Father, for your sweet Holy Spirit. God, I pray you speak to each one of us. May we walk out of here. God, may be challenged, may be renewed, may be encouraged, may be strengthened, may, may be educated as to what our purpose is. God, help us, Father, to be pleasing to you in all we do. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Psalms chapter 139, David said in verse number 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, he goes on and says a little bit more, but I want to look at that because that, that fearfully and wonderfully made right there simply means that you're different. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That means you're not like anybody else. You are unique. You, you are, are distinguished. You are set apart. That's not just a Christian word, set apart, um, to, to be used for a holy purpose. That, that's what that means, that, that each one of us 
are set apart. You are completely different. Are you ready for this? You are completely different than anything else God has ever created. What? Wow. Yeah, you. Think of all the creation of all the universe, of all there is. God created you to be you. And you are completely different, not just than anyone else that he's ever created, but you're different than anything that God has ever designed, that God has ever put together. Completely different. You have your own fingerprints. No one else will ever have yours. You have your own DNA. God designed that for you. God is not a repeater. God, God's not a, a duplicator. He is a creator. And God creates things with a purpose. You, you have your own personality and you have your own assignment. God created you for something. Fearfully, wonderfully, for a specific purpose. You're not an accident. You didn't just land on earth. Your mom and dad didn't decide to have you. Or not decide. It makes no difference what your past tells you. You were here on purpose, designed, destined, purposed by God to solve a problem. That's what God put us here for. You know, realities of life, we don't all face the same problems. But we all face problems. Amen. I know y'all are sound asleep because somebody would have amen that. We, we don't all face the same challenges. But we all face challenges in this life. We don't all have the same doubts. But we all struggle with doubt. We all wrestle with some doubt. We wrestle with doubt as, as, as to who we are. We wrestle with doubt as to how in the world could God use something like me? How in the world could God take somebody with my past and, and, and the things that I've done. And, and can, can I just go ahead and plug one in? Y'all don't cast me out. God put me here, I promise. So you can't fire me anyway. You can write me off. How can God use somebody that has done the things I've done since I've been saved? Oh, me. Sunday morning, hallelujah, God done showed all up in the house. Everybody wrestles with doubt because the devil constantly throws that out there. That's why I want to remind you of your past. I recently told you the reason the devil wants you to focus on your past is because he's afraid of your future. If he can keep you focused on the mistakes of your past, he can't let you get into the visions and the glory of your future and to be used by God. So he tries to keep everything in the past. So we, we all wrestle with, with doubts, but here's the truth. You and I are created by God for a specific purpose. Number one purpose that we're created for is to be pleasing to God. Revelation chapter 4, verse number 11, the host of heaven is speaking. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created what? Give me a verse. I'm not going till I got it. Thou hast created what? All things. Why? For thy pleasure they are and were created. That's you and I. We are part of all things. There is nothing created that is not for his pleasure. So, so that means that everything was created by God and for God. Everyone was created by God with a purpose. Moses was created to be a deliverer. You see it in this story. All the baby boy, Hebrew boys are being killed. His mom, Jochebed, took, made a basket, hid him in the river. God had a design purpose. He gave his mother the vision, the wisdom to put him in a basket and set him into the very river that the Pharaoh was killing all the baby boys in. He had a purpose to deliver God's children from the bondage of Egypt. David had a purpose. David was purposed to be the one to step out before the armies of Israel and kill Goliath. He was purposed to, to deliver the children of Israel from the Philistines and to come in and to clear out the land. He was a man of war. He was purposed by God to come in and establish the land. 
Naomi was purposed to be a caretaker. Ruth was purposed so that you and I might understand the value of a kinsman redeemer and what Jesus Christ is for you and I as a kinsman redeemer. Esther was created to save God's people alive. She was gorgeous. She was incredibly beautiful. Her beauty had a purpose, and that purpose was so that she could go from a little Hebrew nothing girl to the queen up in the palace. But the purpose of being there was so that she might approach the king and that God's people might be saved alive. Joseph was created to interpret dreams. He went to, to, and interpreted the Pharaoh's dream so that God might establish him. This, this little Hebrew guy is the second most powerful person on all the earth. Why? To deliver God's people alive. Everyone had a purpose. But that's the patriarchs, right? I mean, that's the Old Testament saints of God, man. You're, you're talking about the big leagues. You're, you're talking about the, the most important names in all the Bible. Okay, think about this. John chapter 9, there's a man that's born blind. And we're not given his name. So how important is his name? Chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus passed by, saw the man blind from his birth. Disciples asked him, said, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he's born blind? Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. Are you ready? Are you ready for the purpose of his blindness? That the works of God should be made manifest in him. His blindness wasn't an accidental something. Did he have to suffer? Yes. But look how many people saw Christ through it. Even his blindness had a purpose in God's plan. Acts chapter 3, there's a man. He's born lame in his legs. Somebody carries him out every day. They sit him beside the gate of the temple called Beautiful. He sits and he begs alms. He's so ashamed in his life as a beggar, he won't even look up. He looks at the ground. He's probably rattling his little cup, asking for alms, please. The reason I know he's looking down is because the first thing Peter said to him is, look on us. He says, you look up here. He says that he fasted his eyes on him. Peter said, I want you to look at me. Stop looking at the ground. Stop looking down in your shame. Stop looking down in your loss. Stop looking down in your hopelessness. I want you to look right here. I got something to tell you that's going to change your life. I have no silver. I have no gold. I have none of the stuff you're thinking. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The Word of God says that, that he took him by the right hand. Lifting him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. You ready? Look at verse number 9. And all the people saw him praising God. People were astounded. People were amazed. This man that his whole life has been this beggar sitting at the gate of the temple. Now they're ecstatic. This man is walking and leaping and jumping around. And somebody goes to the Pharisees who will throw water on anybody's fire. That old religious crowd. That old well-dressed but knows nothing about God crowd. They went in there talking about the miracle. And there becomes this, this scene for a while. There's some argument going on. But in the next chapter, chapter 4, verse number 4, how be it? Many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of men was about five thousand men this no-name lame beggar sitting there with his little cup made a difference so that more than five thousand men come to know Christ in one single event a little no-name nobody but God did something miraculous Acts chapter 28 the apostle Paul you go back to your big names he's involved in a shipwreck they get him up on the land. The Phoenician people are trying to help him. He goes up and they, they built a fire and he's getting some wood and he's bit on the hand by a snake. Even the snake bite was purposed by God because the Phoenician people served all kinds of gods. They thought there was gods of every different thing. And when they saw that Paul was bitten, they said, oh, surely, surely this man's a murderer. He has escaped the God of the sea, but he couldn't get away from the God of time. But what they saw was that when this highly venomous snake had no effect on the apostle Paul, then they decided he must be a God. I mean, you got a God for everything else, right? So they try to make him a God. But you know what it established? It established the ability for the apostle Paul to tell everybody on that island about Jesus Christ. Even the snake bite had a purpose. Do you know what 
every one of these stories have in common? Whether it's a little no-name blind man or whether it's the Apostle Paul himself. Do you know what all of the stories have as a consistent deal? Others are watching. In every situation, others were affected by what happened to the one that the story was about. Others are always watching. You want to look at your bulletin? Here's your fill-in. When we see what seems to be a problem in our lives, many times it's just God up to something through our lives. We may never know who's watching. We may never know what God's doing. We may never know the effect, but, but you can rest assured of one thing. Somebody around you is watching. And somebody around you is going to be affected by what God is doing in your life. And it's either going to be positive or negative. That's the choice we have to make. So in the first chapter of the book, The Assignment, Murdoch says problems are a catalyst for creativity. Inventors don't just sit around and come up with things. They come up with things that meet a need. They invent things that solve a problem. The phone wasn't just created. The phone solved the communication problem. The car wasn't just something thrown out there. The car solved a transportation problem. The, the light bulb isn't something just to be there. It solved a, a night vision problem. Things are created to solve something. Everything that God has created is for a purpose in every one of you or somebody else's blessing. You ready? You listen. It's for you. You were created on purpose by God to be you. Nobody else can ever be you. No one else can do exactly what you can do. Somebody needs exactly what you have been created to do. Somebody needs exactly what God has purposed in your life. When God developed your DNA, he made it yours. He perfected a DNA for you that isn't like anything that he has ever done before or anything that he will ever do again. Nobody else can be you. You are an individual designed by God for his plan. Another important thing about being you, you can be the answer to someone else's prayer. When God instructs you to do anything, just do it. Listen to me. When God instructs you to do anything, just do it. You never know what's going on. That, that, I, I don't want you to get this wrong. I'll share something with, with you for you guys in a minute. But, but let me just share one that made a difference for me this week. I was sitting there praying, and God put somebody on my heart. So I look back. I haven't texted them about the second or third week of May. They're not on my prayer list. They're not on the church prayer list. But God instructed to pray for them. I, I preached this person's brother's funeral Christmas 2021. Christmas, right in the middle of the holidays. All I knew was that God instructed me to pray for him. So I pray for him. You guys know. You guys know. I don't send you texts every day. I promise you this. I pray for you every day. I pray for this church every day. And I go through these prayer lists and I, and I call out names. But I don't send you texts every day. But sometimes God says, send them a text. Let them know you're praying for them. So I did. Hey, just want you to know I'm praying for you today. Love you. Hope you have a great day. This is what I get back. I can use the extra prayers today. It's my brother's birthday. He would have been 33 today. Thank you. See, I had no idea. But God did. And God wanted to reach down and bless somebody and pick them up and lift their spirit. And he told somebody else to pray so he could answer their prayer and do it. Some of you have got blessings stored in heaven for what you've done this week. Spoiler the past two weeks. But you send, me, you send me messages that simply say, hey, praying for you, love you. Hey, praying for your back. Pray, praying for God. See, that means a ton to me. I, because if you take time to send me a text, then I believe even if it's just driving down the road, you at least crossed your mind. You said, God, will you touch the pastor's back? And, and here's what I know. God cannot and God will not ignore prayer. 
So that means if you're praying, God's listening. And that means that God probably touched you to pray for me. That means I'm on God's mind and he's looking to do something. And then you put little things like I love you. That says stuff to me. It means something. God has used so many of you all week long to just be a blessing to me because you just took time to put a text. God tells you to take somebody a meal. God tells you to hand somebody something on the side of the road a meal. You just do it. For all you know, they've been up praying all night long. They've been starving. They're just asking God to send a meal. God says pray for them. Just pray for them. God doesn't wake you up in the middle of the night just because he never sleeps. He doesn't get a kick out of waking you up. God didn't wake some of us all up, probably half of us in here. I don't know. God didn't wake all of us up last night in the middle of the night for nothing. Larry needed some prayer. And God woke him up. With, woke us up with him on your mind to, to pray. So when God inspires something to pray, you just pray. Can we do anything that God directs us to do? We're being used by God to be an answer to someone else's prayer. Here's another one. It's important. Don't try to be what you're not. Hello. You, each one of us, it's not our job to try and be everything no one is intended to be everything for everybody we're not everybody's solution but you are somebody's you're not the answer to everybody's problem but you are somebody's you're not the one to meet everybody's need but you are somebody's you are exactly what God has ordered for somebody else's life Something else to point out here in the book that Murdoch says. He says, God has qualified you to be a perfect solution to someone else's problem. There's a but right there. We have to surrender our lives to be used by God. We are the creation. God is the creator. God is the one who knows the plan. I don't know the plan. You, you don't know your plan. God is the one who knows the plan. He told Jeremiah there in, in the fifth verse of the first chapter, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. He, he said, Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. The creation does not make the plan. The creation is created to be what the creator purposed it to be. So our purpose is not for us to decide, but to discover. What God wants us to do is not for us to decide what to do. We are to discover. God already has the plan. Now, the plan can't begin until we have a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. And once we have the relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, then it becomes about prayer. And through prayer, our relationship builds. And through that prayer and that relationship, now we can ask God, what is it that you have purposed for my life? Everybody has different gifts. Everybody has different talents. You are designed specifically to be you. And no one else can be you. Just like Jeremiah, your agenda for your life was predetermined by God before you ever got here. See, God's plan for our life is not our decision. Obedience to the plan is our decision. I, I think on the back of your bulletin, it simply says obedience is our decision. Obedience to the plan, that's our choice. Will I be what God has purposed me to be? His plan... For our life will require a personal decision on our part to surrender our will for his will. God decides what he desires for us to do. We decide the level of obedience to his command. So the agenda for our lives was determined, predetermined before we were ever born. God told Jeremiah, before you ever formed, before you ever in the belly, before you ever came, I already knew you before you in the womb. I had a plan for you. And you know what Jeremiah did? The exact same thing you and I do. God said, before I ever purposed you in the womb, I already had a plan. He did exactly what everybody else in this book did. You know what he did? Made an excuse. I can't do that. Anybody have, I can't in your vocabulary? Anybody ever tell God I can't? Fine, let me tell you, the longer you tell God I can't, the one thing that I can't do is sleep. Because God don't mind waking you up to get his point across. 
God ain't bashful about 3 or 3.30 in the morning to get you up and start reminding you of the things you keep saying, I can't. But, but we're, it's not like we're some exception to the rule. God's been dealing with it since the beginning of man. So, so he, he says, I can't. God said, said, don't tell me that. Jeremiah says, I, I'm but a child. God says, I know what you are. I'm the one that purposed you. You go and do what I command. Then the Lord put forth his hand. Touch my mouth. The Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have set this day thee over the nations, over the kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, to build up, and to plant. That means that God's predetermined will it w- was already in place for Jeremiah. And, and God is no respecter of persons. That means if God had a pre-purpose, predetermined plan for Jeremiah, then in all fairness, God has to have a pre-purpose, predetermined plan for who? Me. Y'all were supposed to say me. Because if I say you, you think I'm talking about you, but well, we're all in this together, right? We're all just trying to find out what is it that God wants me to do. See, our assignment requires our participation requires our participation. Nobody else can discern it for you. Nobody else can pursue it for you. Nobody else can go before God's throne, find out your assignment, and bring it back. And nobody else can achieve it for you. God designed you to be you, and no one else can fill that spot. Our obedience to God's plan is our choice. God decides what he desires for us to do. We decide the level of obedience. God's presence in our lives depends solely on our attitude towards Him. The amount of His presence in our life is determined by the level of pursuit that we have for Him in our lives. See, our level of pursuit is our decision. But God's level of presence in our lives is based on that decision. You want God in your life? Surrender it. You want God to use you? Surrender it. So the more we surrender, the more God is involved in our life. See, God allows. God provides. God pursues. But God will not force. He didn't force salvation on you. Anybody here got forced to get saved with a gun to your head? Go ahead and raise your hand. You're a storyteller if you do. It is the free gift of God offered, and it is yours to take. God does not force salvation on any man, but he offers it to every man. And God will not force his plan on your life, but he offers blessings abundantly, windows of heaven open, blessings poured out that there be not room enough to receive it. But the quality of our relationship with God is the evidence of our attitude towards God. God has a perfect plan for our life, but it's up to everybody to accept the plan. You want a perfect example of that? It's not God's will that any should perish. It's not God's will. God has a plan. God has made a perfect plan in Jesus Christ that all might be saved, that none have to go to hell. Anybody believe that? So, so he told us, 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. See, God has a perfect plan that involves whosoever. Whosoever has no exclusions. God has a perfect plan for every life that is ever born that no one will ever go to hell. Yet every single year, millions of people will die and go to hell by their own choice. Salvation is just the first best decision we ever made. Salvation is is the first best choice that, that we ever accepted. But it's not the end of choices. See, it's just like with salvation. God's not going to force his will on you and I, but he will greatly reward the ones who chooses his will and then does it. You and I are a product. We are the product of God. He is our creator, but he is also our redeemer. He not only created this life, he purchased it back. 
He sent his own son. He is everything that we need. He is the only one that knows the perfect plan for which we've been created. Can, can I give you something else from the book? Satan hates God's plan for your life. He will do anything he can to stop you. But he has no power over the name of Jesus. He can only do what God allows. Satan has a great fear of you finding and doing God's will for your life because he knows he has no defense against it. So what is my purpose? Murdoch says the things that break your heart, that's an indicator of the things that you've been sent to solve. See, everything doesn't bother everybody, but everybody is bothered by something. Did, did, did y'all get that? Was that okay? See, the things that bother you greatly is an indicator of, of where your purpose lies. Murdoch says tears are the clues to the nature of your assignment. What makes you cry is a clue to the problem that God has appointed you to change. I think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was heartbroken. Yes, he heard about Jerusalem. Yes, he heard about the walls and the gates are torn down and burned with fire and the houses are burned. He heard about all that stuff, and he was distraught about the condition of Jerusalem. But his greatest heartbreak was in the condition of the people. And he was so concerned that he wept and, and he cried over that, and that's what God used him to, to rebuild. Ezra comes along before him. Ezra is heartbroken. Because the temple's been destroyed. The temple's been burned down. And he understands that God is the only answer. Does anybody in here understand that God is the only answer? Well, in that day, God communicated through the temple. In that day, God communicated through the Ark of the Covenant and through the Holy of Holies. And so Ezra knew they needed a temple. So, so he comes back and he rebuilds it. Moses is heartbroken because the Hebrew people are slaves in Egypt. And he's ticked off about it. So much so that he killed an Egyptian. But God used his hatred of slavery to deliver God's people from slavery. See, that's another clue to our assignment. The things that we're passionate about. He was passionate about the Hebrew people being slaves of the Egyptians. What are we good at? What things are important to us? Where do we invest our time? Uh-oh. If you want to know what's important to you in your life, start a time log right now. And about every two hours, stop and write down what you've done in the past two hours. And you keep a 24-hour time log for the next 7 to 14 days, and I promise you God will reveal some things in your life. God will show you. God will begin to show you what is the most important thing in your life. You know why? Because that's the things we invest the most time in. So that, that's another clue. Time is the currency of the earth. God gave us time. But what we do with that time is our choice. And where we put our time is the indication of things that are important to us. So he says, no matter what your purpose is, the devil fears you finding it and surrendering to it. Murdoch says this, one single act of obedience can destroy a thousand of the devil's plans. But then he asked this question in the book. You know, they always got a medal, don't they? They always just got to throw in a punchline. What are you doing now? Mm-mm. Band, you guys come on up. Come, come, come on, come on up. In the funeral, Mr. Nadim's funeral Tuesday, Neil spoke and he talked about time. And he talked about past, and he did all the time back to birth. He did it in sections of time, but, but he made the statement that um, time is in three dimensions. That we have past, present, and future. And it was amazing that, that he used that, because I just spent about three days studying that exact same thing. And, and here, here's what I've been studying at. Time has three dimensions, past, present, and future. Anybody agree? But you can only live in one of them. Anybody agree? The past can't be changed. All your failures, you don't have to refail again, overcome. All your victories, you don't get to go relive. You just have to strive for victory. We can't live in the past. But by the same token, we can't live tomorrow. 
We, we can't live in the future. The only time that we have to live is the present. The only, the only time that we can do anything is right now. That is the only thing that we know we have. So put excellence into your present. Put your best into right now. Pour everything we have into serving God right now. Not what can you do after work tomorrow. What can you do for somebody at lunch today? What kind of blessing can you be to somebody in here before you ever walk out of this place? What kind of prayer can you offer right now on somebody else's behalf before we ever leave? It's not what can we do tomorrow. What can I do right now? If God gives us things to do tomorrow, if God gives us reach to do a week from Monday, if God gives us things, then you plan those things as best as you can. But nobody promised Monday week. What we have is right now. And what he says is, what are we doing right now? So the truth is, we are created for his glory. We are created to be jewels in the hand of God. If you study God's word, you'll find out that's what you are. You are a most precious stone to God. You are a most precious jewel in, in the hand of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made on purpose for a reason by God. Each one of us. Each one of us in our heart, we know the answer to the question. Am I fulfilling God's plan for my life? Am I doing even the little things that God gives me to do? Am I reading this book? Am I spending time in prayer? Listen, I'm, I'm sorry, but if you think that you're living a perfect, sinless life, and you're making no mistakes, maybe you are, God bless you, but I, I, I kind of feel like you're not. Because if it was possible to achieve, then Jesus Christ came for nothing. Jesus came because we can't perfect the law. We, we can't live in a perfect plan. But, but I'm, I'm, it's just all free. You do with it what you want. If you're not reading that, you're living in sin. Well, not just because, yes, I'm sorry, but yes. My, my word, this word is established forever. This, this, this is God's instruction. This is God's command. This is God's everything. And I promise you this. He's not going to give you anything in here that he ain't already given you in here. He's going to use it to confirm some things, to establish some things. But if you're not reading this book, you have no chance of living a successful Christian life because this is the instruction book. If you're not praying, it's a sin. It's called the sin of prayerlessness, of which I feel 100% guilty all the time. Anybody feel like you don't pray enough? Anybody feel like sometimes we finally stop and pray when nothing else worked? Prayer is supposed to be number one, not when all else has failed. So he says, are you living what God wants you to live? Are you doing what God wants you to do? Are you investing the time that God has given you into the things that God has given you the time to do? It's one of his, one of his last questions. Again, the book's called The Assignment. Author's Mike Murdoch. Paperback. 120-something pages, maybe. You can read it in, I don't know, depending on your reason. You read it a day easily. Just little short versions, but packed full of stuff. Are you investing the time that God has given you into the things that God has given you the time to do? I don't know. What, what, about, what about this question? Do you know what it is that God wants you to do? Do you know God's plan for your life? Do you, do you know what I'm supposed to be doing right now? I, I'm not asking you, do you know you're supposed to be a missionary 20 years from now or God's calling you in some great field? Listen, all it takes to serve God is obedience. If it's one text message, I don't care. Listen, I see half the people in here get their phones out on Sunday morning anyway, and for all I know, you're on Facebook. It doesn't matter. It's your business. But if God's giving you somebody to text right now that just says, I love you, or I'm sorry, or I'm praying, whatever it is, take your phone out and do it. Don't, don't put off what God gives you to do. We put off everything else. Don't put off what God gives you to do. But what are we supposed to be doing right now? 
It's a fair question. God, what, what, is, what is your purpose for my life? Show me your will. Show me your way. Give me the strength to walk in it. Use me to be a blessing to somebody else. I'm, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that matters to you. Do you, I mean earnestly, in all your heart, do you want God to use you to be a blessing to somebody else? To make a difference in somebody else's life? Just, He will. He will. You are the answer to somebody's prayer right now. Not in the future, right now. You are God's design plan to be used by Him for His glory to make a difference in somebody else's life right now. You were created to solve a problem. God knows the problem. God knows the solution. He made you to be it. But if we're not obedient, then we're missing the mark. Amen? I'm going to ask you guys to just stand if you would. Altar's always open. God, show me your plan. I want to know your plan. Help me live in the plan. I don't know anybody besides me need help. Help me be a prayer warrior. Help, help me be one that makes a difference in the lives of others by being a prayer warrior on their behalf. Help, help me be the one that's adamant about praying for the sick, praying for broken marriages, praying for prodigal children. Help me, God, to, to be a prayer warrior. I'm going to ask you, would if you'd bow your heads right where you are. Anybody wants to come pray, you're welcome to pray here. You're welcome to pray where you are. But if you've never been saved, there's one prayer you need to take care of right now. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, right now is the most important decision you're ever going to make on this planet. And that is to receive Christ. To die without Christ is to die completely. To die without Christ is to go to hell. But God purposed it that you don't have to. It's not God's will that you go to hell. It's not God's will or God's purpose or God's plan or God's design to send you to hell. That will be your choice. If you choose to say no to Jesus Christ. But you can change that. Father, I am a sinner. God, I just want to be saved. I want to surrender my life. Listen, this ain't lip service. This is surrender of the heart. I want to surrender my life to your will. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and to save my soul in Jesus' name. If you're faithful to pray and you're faithful to surrender your heart, he's faithful to save the lost. Nobody is beyond the arms of God. Amen. Go ahead, guys.